you know, with the, in the, as, a, as, a, as a pastor in, in sermon preparation, sometimes sermon preparation is uh, a week long. You're just little by little. Sometimes it just suddenly comes to you. Sometimes you're conflicted about what to preach. Um, sometimes the barrel is literally empty. And you just need a miracle from God. And then sometimes um, you, get, you, just, you get right on the right trail and God's doing something and then you just can get diverted to something else that's equally as good. And you just want the right thing. We have, as a fellowship, we value the preaching of the word of God to build faith in the hearts and the minds of the listener. Amen? And we're gonna trust that as the word goes forth today, that it's going to be a blessing to you in your life. Amen? For no matter where you're at. So let's ask the Lord to bless the word of God today. Father, we're humbled by your presence. I'm humbled by the privileged opportunity to be able to, to, be able to worship as we have already had this experience. And we ask today, God, in the name of Jesus, that there would be a freedom as already has been spoken of the word of God. And from my perspective, Father, I have prayed diligently that uh, you would give me the tongue of the learned. But more so than that, I pray for a receptive heart. I pray that people's heart is truly pliable and we will value, God, your word today. Well, we're so grateful for it. It's in Jesus' name and everyone said amen and amen. I wanna talk to you today from this title con of context. It's the greatest exhibition of faith or faith's greatest exhibition. Depends upon which way you wanna look at it. But I'm grateful for the effect of faith in our heart and life. Faith is an invisible force that can't be measured by any uh, equipment other than the sensitivity of God. God can discern whether there's great faith, right, come on, or a lack of faith. We're here today out of faith. You came by faith, right? But you also came to grow in faith. You came because you want to manage your faith. You wanted to discipline yourself and to be diligent, as the writer Peter said, to add to your faith virtue. So you're adding to your faith. You're building, you're developing your faith. Faith is many faceted. It is a way and means in which we commune with God. It's not only a way and means in which we commune with God, it's a way and means in which we receive from God. The presence of faith is visible. The absence of it is also visible or tangible as well. And you and I are aware of what Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number six, in the context of faith, he said, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For they that come to God must believe must believe what? That he is, comma, that he's what? That he's God. And that he's a rewarder of those who will diligently seek him. Now, we know that there's a distinction between belief and faith. James said, and he didn't necessarily spell it out exactly that way, but he did, he did create the distinction. He said, dost thou have faith? He said, the devils believe and tremble. And so there's a faith that we could actually call belief that's not believing. Whether or not if you have just a belief in God, you might still find yourself in the fellowship. 
But I'm telling you, that is insufficient in the kingdom of God. That will be like the parable of the, uh, the wedding guest that Jesus himself taught that when the king walked through the banqueting area and found one at the, the get, at the banquet room but didn't have the wedding garment on and, and was therefore asked to leave. You can be in the people of God with the belief system and not be in faith. But now once you recognize that God's dealt to every man the measure of faith, and then you begin to want, as a believer, to manage and to exercise your faith. Jude said that you can build up your most holy faith. Is that right? Right, you can build it up. You can exercise it. And then when you exercise it, then it is uh, sufficient to meet needs in your life, to be able to trust God. Is that right? Amen, because we receive, if we receive anything from God, we receive it by faith. Let me tell you, sympathy does not move God. I've said that many times. I had to learn that myself. I felt like that if my need was great enough, my situation was dire enough, that that would somehow um, unlock sympathy in God's heart and God would respond. But that's not the way it works in the kingdom of God. The thing that moves God is faith. The two times that Jesus marveled. Now, there, well, actually, there are multiple times that he marveled in Scripture, which means that he was in awe. He was uh, amazed. He was amazed at unbelief. The Bible says he marveled at their unbelief. That was actually in his own hometown, Nazareth. Mark records that he went to his hometown where he'd been brought up. And the Bible says that he could there do no mighty works, save he could heal a few sick folk. And he marveled at their unbelief. But on two other occasions, he marveled at the faith of a man and a woman, distinct, separate situations, who literally believed God for their tangible need to be met by the authoritative word of God that was manifested in the life of Jesus. And the Bible says he marveled. He said, I have not found. You remember the woman that we know as the Syrophoenician woman came down from the region of Tyre and Sidon, which is northern Israel, which would be modern-day Lebanon. And she had a great need in her life. Her young daughter was grievously tormented by a devil, and she'd come to Jesus, and Jesus wouldn't answer a word. So she turned to the disciples, and he, they couldn't, you know, get any, they couldn't respond uh, in what that she needed. And finally, she just fell down at Jesus' feet, and she began to worship. You remember that passage of Scripture? And he marveled because she had great faith, and, and he, he, because she ultimately said, Lord, I'm just waiting for a crumb to fall from the master's table, right? And we put ourselves in a position to receive something from God by faith. Now, when you think for just a moment of time, the stimulus for faith is the Word of God. Now, there are a lot of things that can build a belief system. There are a lot of things that can give you a positive outlook. You don't have to read the Word of God to be a positive person. There's a lot of things that can put you in a more positive environment to create something positive in your mind. But I'm telling you, the thing that will build faith is the Word of God. I've already said it, but let me say it again. Romans 10 and 17, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith, again, uh, gains its strength by hearing the Word. As we hear the Word, it creates within us a greater or a deepened faith. Sometimes faith needs a spiritual charge. Sometimes it is like a shot of steroids. It's to flex your spiritual muscles. Sometimes it's just for the purpose of maturation and maturing you as an individual. 
And one of the things that I love about Jesus is, is that no one exhibited faith in all the word of God like Jesus. Let me just work with that with you for just a moment of time. Now, I believe, first of all, that when you consider miracles, I think that miracles have a very important part of validating the faith that we now possess. Miracles are, are a means and were a means that the Lord used in his sovereign will to confirm doctrine to the people of God even as far back as ancient Israel. Let me give you an example, and you've heard me talk about this many times. Now, you and I know that in the world today and in the world for thousands of years, the world has been plagued by idolatry. People worship a a plurality of gods, a pantheon of gods. People uh, carve gods out of stone, carve gods out of wood, uh, hug trees, come on. Uh, All different types, and idolatry has plagued not only just the Gentile world, but it's plagued the people of God for thousands of years. We know that from history. We know that from the recorded history in the Word of God. We know how important Mount Sinai and the giving of the Mosaic Law was to the people of ancient Israel. It's very, very important. Uh, You've heard me reference it many times because on on that mountain, when that mountain began to burn... In the presence of two million men and women, it burned literally with fire because the glory of God came down on that mountain. Smoke and billows and lightnings and thunderings. And then ultimately a voice was heard. And that voice was the authoritative word of God. And the voice that spoke, spoke the Ten Commandments. The very thing that Moses would carry down from Mount Sinai when he spent the 40 days in the presence of God. The Bible says that those Ten Commandments were carved not by chisel. Moses did not chisel out the Ten Commandments. The Bible says they were carved by the finger of God. What you hold in your lap is the Bible. We call it Scripture, script. It means holy writ. And so the very first holy writ was the Ten Commandments. But one of the most important things that happened that day was the presence of God in the miraculous display of his glory validated the word that was spoken. Did, did you hear that? Let, let me, let me, I want you to think about this. Think about a plurality of gods. Think about wor- uh, cultures, entire nations that are worshiping gods, believing that's the right God, but believing that they may have a plurality of gods, and that's okay because in the heavens are thousands of gods, but here the one true God. We know that there's but one true God, amen? That one true God came down, not in a back room somewhere, not in a temple somewhere where no one would see him but just one priest, but he came down on that mountain to validate the word that would soon be spoken, to validate it, so that when the people saw it, that mountain ablaze with the glory of God, they knew that it was supernatural, and it validated, if I could say this respectfully, the person of God. When then subsequently, as the scriptures was given little by little, because God did tell Moses, he said, after the tenor of these words, more words will be spoken. And so we know that the scripture, the Bible says, holy men of God were moved by the Holy Ghost. And when you find oftentimes in scripture, when doctrine starts to come forth, it was necessary for God to validate the doctrine by a miracle. Does that make sense? Because anybody can claim to have the authoritative voice of God. 
Anybody can go, uh, you know, on a mountain somewhere and, say, and then come down uh, and say, well, you know what, I heard from God. But, but well, then validate it. Show us. Uh, God is awesome in power, then display something. So that's why when you read the Old Testament, periodically along the way, there are miraculous signs and wonders. I mean, miracles didn't begin in the New Testament. You know, we, we read about prophets of old. We read about the multiplication of food. We read about supernatural protection. We read about axe heads that floated. We read about dead people coming back to life again. We read about sick people being miraculously healed by the power of God. And as, they often, as these miracles happen, often it contributed to validate a prophetic word that was being spoken. That prophetic word was being spoken audibly at the time by the prophet, but would be captured by a scribe, which would make it the word of God. And it would be validated again by the miracle. Now, that's a very important thing because when Jesus came along, there were some great claims made about Jesus, even himself. He himself made great claims. He made great claims that need validation because it was very controversial. Jesus said things like this. He said, me and my father, we're one. And now listen, that was blasphemy to a Jew that here's a man standing in front of them that's claiming to be one with the father. The one that came down on the mountain but was uh, uh, hidden in the cloud and in the, on the, and the fire. That God that only Moses went into the presence of God to see and to experience the glory of God. And here's Jesus making this far-reaching, you know, uh, statement that he and his father are one. But I'm telling you, he validated his doctrine by his miracles. Oh, let's go there. Let's talk about miracles. So now, the Bible, I want to refer back to a passage. Just I'm going somewhere if y'all stay with me. Hebrews chapter 1, you've heard me quote this before, and I can't quite quote it. I have to paraphrase it. God at sundry times and divers manners, spake unto us in times past by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Simply put, he said, God in days gone by spoke to us by the audible voice of prophets. But in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son, who is the heir of all things. This is where the paraphrase kicks in. But the Bible says he was the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. So the writer would later validate, again, scripturally, what Jesus said, that Jesus was one with the Father. But when the first listening audience was hearing it, that was a conflicted moment for them because how could anybody be one, in essence, with the Father? Well, Jesus would validate the doctrine that he taught by the miracles that he would perform. Signs and wonders. Now, you've got to think about this. A people that had previously known miracles in their history, the ancient history of ancient Israel, for three and a half years, the nation itself was turned upside down by the ministry miracle of this, or the, the, the miraculous ministry of this man, Jesus. Because, I mean, listen, there were things that happened unlike anything that had ever happened in the Old Testament in sheer number not just in example, but in sheer number. You know, there were times that every person in the crowd was healed. Did you know that? When you go back and read the Gospels, that the Bible says they brought the lame. Just think about being there. Think about being in the crowd. Think about bringing your child that was born with a cleft lip and their teeth were construed and, 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 you, and, the, and the trauma that your child had. 
or that you had a, a paralytic father or you had a, a mother who was bent over and, 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 you, and you traveled 15 miles over rugged terrain because you had heard about this man Jesus and you got in a crowd of people and he sat down and he began to teach. And when he concluded his teaching, when the sun began to set, all of a sudden virtue began to go out of him. And people began to throng him and touch him. And the Bible says as many as touched him were made whole of their diseases. Devils began to cry out with loud voices, torment us not. The Bible tells us on more than one occasion that the power of the Lord was present to heal them all. And you were in the crowd that day, and you know that person because they were in your community with you. They were in your village. You know that they had never seen the brightness of a single day in all their life. And all of a sudden, in the presence of this man, Jesus, their eyes become as a newborn baby. They see clearly. Come on, somebody. And the deafened ears pop open, and people hear the Word of God for the very first time. And you hear the sound of cracking cracking bones began to snap back into place and crippled limbs uh, you know people walked in and had shortened legs short legs and all of a sudden they, they you look up and they're running all around the the meeting it's out there in the middle of a field somewhere and they're just running all around because they hadn't walked in 30 years come on somebody uh, that that just turned that that was jesus that's what we read about in the gospels the miracles. And have you ever thought about the miracles of Jesus, of uh, the, the greatest exhibition of faith? Because Jesus was exhibiting faith in those moments. Sometimes the people exhibited faith and he commended them for it. But most of the time, it was Jesus that was exhibiting the faith. He was trusting God for the power of God to heal the sick. Amen? And the power of God was present. No, you and I, when we think about faith's greatest exhibition, when you think about the life of Jesus and the miracle ministry of Jesus, there are a lot of things that come to mind. Now, remember, the people themselves said this. We have never seen this in our generation. They said this, paraphrasing. They said, we've never seen anything like this. Can you say that today as well? When you read about Jesus, that the world has never seen a man like that man Jesus. No one, this is what they said, said nobody's ever done what this man's done. Nobody's ever called dead people out of the grave like this man did. Think about this. I passed a, 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 a funeral procession just a few weeks ago. Jesus was in a little village called Nain. And there in that village, uh, there came a, the, a, a procession of a funeral. And there was great sorrow and weeping. And there was a mother there and she had just this little child, or this one, uh, this, uh, one son and he had died. And, and there was sorrow, and Jesus stopped the procession. Now, put that in modern terms. You are at Main Street, outside of Olmstead. Come on. And, and, the, and, and, and Levi and the other police officer holding the traffic back, and the Hertz has just made its way out there on Main Street, and you run up there and you stop the Hertz because that's what Jesus did. He stopped the Hertz. Uh, he opened it up. He op touched the boy. He was in his, you know, the, the burial uh, clothing, and he touched the boy, and the boy sprang up out. Come on. Sprang up off of that bed, and that's when the people said, my God, a great prophet has risen up among us because we have never seen anything like that. There came another time that the disciples of Jesus uh, and, and, and the multitude had come out. Think about this in your mind. Think about faith's greatest exhibition. When did Jesus display the greatest faith in the miraculous power of God? Well, perhaps it was the time that the multitude had come to him out in the desert place and there was no food. There was no McDonald's to buy everybody a happy meal. 
right? There was no, there was no supermarket harps to run to across the street. They were out there in a desert place, and there was, they'd been with him for three days, and they'd just been getting by just on a meager existence, hearing him teach and minister the word of God. And finally, it was time to send the crowd away, but Jesus and his compassion for people would not send people away because they would faint along the way. And so he talked to his disciples, and he said, you know what? I want you to give them something to eat. And I'm sure they're like, we, we don't have, and then their little boy walks by, and he's got a little sack lunch that his mom had made for him a couple days earlier. And he said, we just got a few fish and a few uh, pieces of bread, and that's all there is. But remember what one disciple said, but what is that among so many? You know what it was? It was just enough when it was in the presence of genuine faith, faith of God, when someone was trusting God, a God of multiplication. And so Jesus said, well, bring it here to me. And so in the presence of thousands of people, historians tell us there could have been as many as 5,000 men plus women and children because the number is they fed the 5,000. But with women and children, the number could have swollen to 15,000, even 20,000 people. An entire stadium, a football stadium of people was gathered there and Jesus took just a few loaves and fishes in his hands and he lifted his eyes toward heaven and he gave God thanks for what he had. And when he thanked God for what he had, he trusted God to give him what he needed. Come on, somebody. And that's what faith does. Faith will take what you've got and trust God for what you need. And in that moment, there was a multiplication. And I don't know how it happened. I don't know, but he took what he had in his hand and gave it back to his disciples and said, you give it to them. And so that meant all 12 took a little portion and started going out amongst the Can you imagine? If you were the apostle Peter, at that time not the apostle, but the disciple Peter or Simon, or that you were John, uh, the John the beloved, or John or, or, or James, what doesn't matter, and, and all of a sudden you got one fish, two fish, three fish, and now there's fish you can't even number and bread, and if the, as soon as you can put your hand in the basket, another one comes out. Glory to God! My God, that's the power of faith. Listen, and I believe that with all my heart. I believe that Jesus exhibited faith in that moment and released the blessing of God. And when you, in your mind, if you were to say, Pastor, I mean, there are so many things. Is there an example that you can give me of maybe faith's greatest exhibition? Because, you know, for the sake of time, i got to narrow it because there's so many. You know, there's at least 37 recorded miracles in the Word of God that Jesus performed. 37. I know you don't have time for all those today. Right? But that they're written there to build faith in our hearts. Because the Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you've got to learn to trust God. So I'm going to show you what I believe could be faith's greatest exhibition. And we're going to go to a passage in Mark for just a moment. Are y'all with me out there? I'm feeling Jesus in here today. Mark chapter number five. Or excuse me, four. I know in the booth they're going, all right, quickly. Mark chapter number four. Let's read this together here. I'm going to read it right here. You read it on the screen if you need to. Now, the same day when the evening was come, he said to them, let us pass over unto the other side. And the other side would be the other side of what we call the, the Lake of Genesaret or the Sea of Galilee. It's 14 miles straight across it if they were to have chosen to have gone all the way across it directly. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was. They just gathered him up. Probably the multitude had been pushing, pulling, and straining upon him. 
They took him even as he was into the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. So it wasn't just his ship. And when you think this, it's King James English, but these are actually little boats, probably about the length of this stage, this platform. They actually discovered one from that actual time frame, and they've been able to piece it back together. It's on display at a museum right there on the edge of the, of the Sea of Galilee. If you ever go to Israel, you have an opportunity to visit and to see. And it's probably a little bit larger than this platform, enough to hold about 8 to 10 to 12 adult men. And, uh, and, and they got in a boat like that, and they launched themselves out and began to head to the other side. Now, I don't know if they were going to go directly across it and be uh, sailing for 14 miles or where they were just taking an angle, going to a little shorter course. I don't know. But the, let's go down just a little bit farther. And it says here, and, and so they, and there were with them other ships, so other little boats are following as well. And then, look at this, there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. Now, other writers, Matthew and Luke, also record this incident. They use a little bit different language. Some said storm, one said storm arose, others said a great tempest. One said, it came down a storm of wind, and it beat upon the ship until the ship was covered with waves. And as the ship was covering with waves, it was being covered with water. And as it was being covered with water, it was in danger of, of sinking. Now, for many years, I'd heard sermons about this particular incident and about the Sea of Galilee and the particular area where Jesus probably was, that there were actually canyons along that side that created a funnel, and when a storm could come up, it could come up and blow very, very violently, even 60-mile-an-hour winds. And if you're out on the open water in a small craft and a 60-mile-an-hour wind comes along, I mean, you know, that can be a very devastating moment. Now, I know that JoJo and Shane will remember the night that we stayed uh, and we were in our motel alongside the Sea of Galilee that that very night, one of those tempests blew in. And it was like a little mini hurricane is what it felt like, literally almost shaking the little uh, the, the motel-like building or the, that we were staying in, and we got a firsthand taste. Now, the next morning, it was as, as calm as you can imagine, but it, the wind was howling, howling and wind blowing and waves crashing out there, in the, and I can't imagine being out in the sea when the wind was like that. And that's what took place, and it was a moment that, that, that just overwhelmed them. So we're reading here, there's arose a great storm of wind. The waves have beat into the ship, so that it's now full. He was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow. And they woke him, and they said to him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Now, Matthew and Luke said, they just simply said, we perish. But Mark captured it in a deeper context and said they actually positioned their, uh, their request as a statement. Their statement was, once again, to invoke sympathy from the Lord. Don't you care that we're about to perish? Can't you do something? And notice what he did. And he rose up, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, can you imagine watching that? Come on, in a moment of time, with the wind howling, howling, excuse me, and the lightning flashing and the thunder and the waves just rolling and the boat taking on so much water. And all of a sudden, when Jesus stood there on the, on the bow of the, of the boat and he rebukes the wind, he begins to speak to the wind. And he rebukes the wind and he, and he speaks to the sea where the, the waves have been rolling. And he said, peace, be still. 
and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Can you imagine if you saw that? Hmm? Wouldn't that be a powerful moment? Wouldn't that be equally as powerful as when he broke the bread? Wouldn't that be, I mean, because their life felt threatened. They felt like in that moment, if he doesn't do something, we're going to die. He said, we perish, and he wasn't talking about Shane's family. That's funny right there. And he said unto them, look, but Jesus was not settled. Jesus was not settled. He was not settled, and he asked them a simple question, two questions. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And so then they feared exceedingly, and look. So maybe this was the miracle. Maybe this was the miracle that in their minds was faith's greatest exhibition. And they said, what manner of a man is this? We've never heard about a man, even in the prophets of old, who could rebuke the storm, who could rebuke the waves, that the entire uh, you know, lake itself, which was boiling because of the wind, that with just one word, peace be still, and it would make it as smooth as glass. We've never seen a man like that. Come on, somebody. Isn't that powerful? That's a powerful exhibition of faith. Would you agree? But what I want to talk to you about today for just a moment before I close is that the, the greatest exhibition of faith was in the story but was not the culmination of the story. I want to show to you the greatest display and exhibition of faith in that story. And the greatest exhibition of faith in that story was not when Jesus went to the bow of the ship and lifted his mouth and spoke to the wind and the waves. It wasn't when there was darkness and there was uh, storms and lightnings and flashings and crashing coming in and they were fearful about to perish and they woke up Jesus and Jesus rebuked the wind and rebuked the storm, drove it away, I command you to go. But I want you to know today that the greatest exhibition of faith is that when the wind was blowing and the storm was howling, are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And, the, and, the, and the, perhaps the enemy was behind it. I don't know. The enemy maybe was behind it because we read in the Word of God that the enemy can move in natural realms like that. We've seen that in the Word in times past. And the wind's blowing and the howling wind and the water's churning and water's about to come into the ship. But Jesus, Jesus, are y'all hearing what I'm saying? The greatest exhibition of faith that was exhibited in that passage of Scripture and perhaps even in all the recorded miracles in the Word of God is that when the wind was howling and the storm was rolling, but that Jesus was pillowed back at the back of the boat, resting in peace in the hand of an invisible God that he knew that had his back because the Bible says your God does not sleep, he does not slumber. He's always with you. He'll always watch over you. Perhaps the greatest exhibition of faith was not when he opened his mouth. Oh, I'm feeling the Lord in here today and spoke to the circumstances around him, but when he just simply rested in God, trusted in the Lord that God was for him, and if God was for him, and if God was directing his steps, if God wanted him in the next village over, he would bring him safely across the sea. I'll tell you today, I wanted to talk to you today about in closing, just resting in the Lord. Man, I feel the Lord right there. Somebody needed to hear that. I needed to hear that in my own private devotion to rest in or to trust in God without panic or fear. 
Listen, did you know that, that history tells us that for many, uh, just a, within 200 years of the, of the birth of the church, that in the, not when we think of the early church, we think of just the immediate years past Jesus with the apostles. But after the death of the apostles, after the first 200 years, and we had the recorded gospels, that the, the church would take the recorded gospels and they would see analogies even in the life of Jesus and make it applicable to their own lives. And so a storm on a sea represents a trial in your life. Does that make sense? Uh, it, makes it, it marks a difficult day. It marks a, a, a panic-stricken moment in your life. And it's recorded in the Word of God. Why? To build faith in your heart. Not just so you have the courage to rebuke the, the, the wind. Sometimes you need to. Not that you'll just need to speak to every circumstance. Sometimes you need to. But sometimes, church family, you just need to sit there and trust in God. You just need to rest in his divine providence. Rest in the Lord knowing that God's got you covered. Come on, somebody. God's got your back. Don't let anything take away uh, your sleep. Just rest comfortably in the Lord. I'm going to read just a few verses from the Psalms to close. Let me tell you about a special verse that's in my heart right now. It's in Psalm 127. We're going to read about five or six verses here in a couple of Psalms, and I'm going to close in Psalm 46, but I want you to read it with me. It says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. This is the passage of Scripture as I'm going through this process of building a house. When I think about my insufficiencies and my inadequacies and my lack of ability and lack of skill and lack of effort, all those things, I'm able to confess and say, God, I can't do anything unless you determine I'm going to do it. I can't Unless you build this house, I can't build it. If I try it without your blessing, God, I'm laboring in vain. Look what, I love this next one. The, the, it says here at the end, the watch, it says, except the Lord keep the city the watchman waketh but in vain. You know, we're all moved by great tragedies like what we saw recently in Las Vegas. And, and sometimes it's in a far-reaching city like what, we've seen, what we saw, uh, you know, just two weeks ago. But you can remember back in the 80s when there was a shooting right on a school campus in, outside of Jonesboro. And not by the hands of a, of a uh, perhaps a deranged uh, man like we saw in Las Vegas, but a young boy had stolen his grandfather's rifle and killed uh, four teachers and, and even some students right there on a campus. This passage should speak to us. I've said it before. There's not enough ammunition in the world to protect you unless God protects you. There's not enough. We, we can have all the nuclear capabilities, but unless God is watching over us. Look what the second verse said. I love this. And this is where it's vain for you to rise up early to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows because God gives his beloved sleep. You know, I can just imagine perhaps the frustration that Jesus had with his disciples as they woke him up from deep rest. They woke him up expecting him to deliver them when he was already trusting God. That Listen, he was already, the power of God worked in Jesus even when he wasn't releasing it. Remember, there was a woman that had an issue of blood. He didn't speak to her issue he didn't speak. She just believed that virtue would flow out of him if you touched him. Jesus was already committed to God. God's power was at work on his behalf. And so he got into that boat, and he knew the possibility of storms arising on the lake. And you know what he did? He just rested in God. He trusted. You know what you need to do, church family? You need to rest in the Lord. Listen, there's uh, situations going on in your life right now, difficult days, challenging moments. Let me tell you, trust in the Lord. Can we read a few more to close? Psalm 62 and 1. I love this. 
The psalmist said, truly my soul waiteth upon God. From him cometh my salvation. He only is my rock and he only is my salvation. He is my defense and I shall not be moved. Now you know I told you two weeks ago that I believe that God orders our steps by the word of God. And we can create divine destiny by speaking and proclaiming the word of God. I believe that Jesus, being someone who knew the scriptures and he was synonymous with the scriptures, he spoke the word of God openly about his life. Perhaps when he pillowed his head that night, when he got ready to go across that perhaps turbulent sea, perhaps he just simply spoke this psalm. Maybe he said, God, I'm going to wait upon you. I'm going to trust you as my rock and my salvation. God, I'm going to trust that you're my defense. I'm not going to be moved. I'm not going to be moved by what happens around me. Psalm 37 and 7 is a good word for somebody today. And then we're going to close in Psalm 46. And that's going to wrap up the preaching of the word today. But Psalm 37 verse 7 says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Don't fret yourself for things that are going on around you. But just rest in the Lord and wait patiently for God. How many know sometimes that's the greatest exhibition of faith is to simply do nothing, mouth closed, trusting God, saying, God, I don't know how you're going to do it. I just know you're going to do it because you're faithful to your word. Man, I'm feeling the word right there. I feel that in my heart. Somebody needs to hear that. Now, I'm going to ask Shane if you would. I think the worship team should come back with you today, and we're going to close here in Psalm 46, and I think that song that you close with would be most appropriate for us to sing again today as a culmination point for us this morning in concluding this message. And I want to turn with you in closing. We'll read it briefly. We won't take much more of your time. I don't want y'all to disconnect from me right now, church family. I want to talk to you in closing about faith's greatest exhibition. Now, as you read that passage with me in Mark's gospel, and as you were already marveling at the supernatural power of God, and as you were contemplating an exhibition of faith, and you know it was an exhibition of faith when Jesus spoke to the wind and the wind ceased. And when he spoke to the sea and the sea became calm, that was a great exhibition of faith. But I don't know if you overlooked what I saw in my private devotions as what was the greatest exhibition of faith, and that was just to rest in the Lord. Panic will take over if you're not careful. Panic took over the disciples. Fear took over the disciples. And so they ran to a great source. They went to Jesus. But you know, Jesus wasn't all just pleased. We think about that. Well, just go to Jesus. Just go to Jesus. He wasn't necessarily pleased, was he? Are y'all with me out there? Is it so close to lunchtime that you can't be with me and connect? This is very important. You may not be in a storm right now, but I'm telling you, you're going to be at some time in your life, right? And you're going to need something. And I know we all want immediate miracles, don't we, Jojo? We all want the wind to just stop, you know, and the, and the waters to just settle down. We, that's what we want, but I'm telling you, that's not what you always get, right? You've got to learn to just trust the Lord. Trust that God's going to keep you. God's going to protect you. Why? Because he's your refuge and he's your strength. I love Psalm 46 and 1. He's a very present help in trouble. Now, they were running to Jesus in panic-stricken fear. But Jesus, kick my pillow over here to me, if you will. I had to get special permission for Sister Sherry to bring us pillow in here today. Jesus was just pillowed. They were running to him to do something. Why? Because they had saw him heal the sick. 
They had saw him cast out devils. They had saw him raise the dead. And they knew that he was in a, 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 a divine touch with God. Well, he could, go, he could rise up and do something. And you would think that he would have commended them. Man, y'all came to me. Man, you came to me. Man, you returned your attention to me. It's the right thing. But rather, he reproved them. And he said, where is your faith? Now, when he asked them, where is your faith? What was he asking? Was he asking for a faith that they themselves would have rebuked the storm? Maybe. That makes good sense. I can handle that. I can handle that because I think we have to follow Jesus' example. I speak to things in my life at times, don't you? And, I don't, and I'm not telling you not to. But you've got to know what to do at the right time. You've got to know what to do in the right situation. And in that situation, I believe the greatest exhibition of faith was when Jesus had his head pillowed at the back of the boat and he was just trusting in God. Maybe he had just contemplated right before he went to sleep, God, you're my refuge and you're my strength. God, you're a very present help in the time of trouble. Let's read it down for just a little bit farther together. He said, therefore, we're not going to fear. I'm not going to read all the psalm today, but look at it. We're not going to fear. The earth can move. And the mountains can be carried away even into the midst of the sea. Look at this. The waters can roar. And the mountains can shake even with the swelling thereof. But the fourth verse said, there's a river. The streams thereof is going to make glad the city of God. What that means is God's going to comfort the city of God and the people of God. Fifth verse. Let's read this on down for just a moment. Why? God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her, and that will come right early, right at the right time. So let me put this all together for you for just a moment of time. I believe in the Word of God. I believe in the promises of the Word of God, and I believe in the power of God. And I know there are times that we need to be vocal and I know we need to rebuke and we need to cast down and we need to speak to objects and we need to speak to devils and we need to speak to situations. But there are some situations in your life that you're going to have to just learn to trust God. You're going to have to just say, God, I can't control this situation. It's beyond me. If you don't help me, it doesn't matter if I stay up all night or not. If you don't help me. God, if you don't watch over my family, God, I can't arm our household sufficiently enough to protect me from all the intruders that might be out there. We saw it in that example two weeks ago, that tragedy with the weaponry that was used. There's weaponry, all kinds of weaponry that are available, and they can try to control it if they want with legislation, but when an enemy or a thief wants to harm somebody, they're going to find a way to harm somebody. And so you can't, you can't, the only thing that's going to keep you from slipping, the only thing that's going to keep you from tragedy, the only thing that's going to keep you from harm is the providential hand of an almighty God that you can trust Him with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. If I could say this to you today, rest in the Lord. Would y'all stand up with me as they sing for just a moment? I'll come back to close the ceremony of the service today. I have this confidence because I've seen the faithfulness of God still inside the storm, promise of the shore. And I trust the power of the word enough to seek your kingdom first. Yeah.